Hello, my name is Blair Murphy and this is The Bishop's Office, a podcast where I talk to members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints about their conversion, missionary service and life experiences. This week I'm speaking to Phil Howes about his spiritual experiences and a bunch of the different callings that he's had. I hope you enjoy it. Phil? Thanks for catching up with me and um, spending some time talking about your life. For those who don't know, you're my father-in-law, so um, I know you pretty well, but um, I guess I was keen to translate our family dinner story time into a bit of a podcast episode. Um, You've had a lot of opportunities to serve in various capacities in the church, which is great, but I guess keen to extract from your life a bit a few of the experiences that have taught you lessons over the years. Is is that okay? Sounds great. I was beginning to wonder that you'd never ever come and ask me. (laughs) Don't take it personally. (laughs) That's good. Well, for those who don't know you as well as I do, um, tell us a little bit about, I guess, your background growing up. What's, What's your story? Well, I've been a member of the church for a long, long time. Um, Our family started investigating the church when I was three years old. We didn't join for 10 years. I was 13 when I was baptised. But um, ever since then, I've been a faithful, active member and tried to do what's required of a member of the church. Mm, Oh, that's great. And um, you served your mission in Peru, but it wasn't a proselyting mission? No, it was more like a welfare services mission Mm -hmm. and... um, I spent the far majority of my time doing leadership training mm-hmm. with bishops and state presidents and primary presidents and just leadership training all around. Mm. What years did you serve your mission? That was back in the mid-70s, 74 okay. to 77. And so how did going on a mission in those days differ from going on a mission now? <laughs> um, that's a great question. Back then, it was not expected for people in Adelaide to serve missions Mm. and so although missionaries did come out of Adelaide it was more rare than Mm. than usual. Mm. And the MTC experience and all of that was that pretty much the same as it is now? Pretty much we didn't call it the MTC back then it was the language training mission but it was um, it was a great experience and um, we were there to learn a language and to learn how to be Mm. a missionary. And how do you feel like your mission set you up for, I guess, the rest of your life? Well, I can't begin to imagine what it'd be like not to have served a mission because every day of my life, I think about something about the mission. And so I'm just thankful that I was able to serve a good mission because now I have good memories. (laughs) So um, I guess you've served in a number of capacities in the church as a bishop, as a stake president, um, as a mission president, temple president, and um, looking after the MTC in New Zealand. Where's a good place to start? What, What was your time like being called as a bishop? What were you concerned about? What experiences could you share with us from those early weeks as a bishop? Oh, that's a good question. I think of the first week I was called as bishop was tithing settlement. It was back in the days when we did tithing settlement at the end of June. And so I was called the end of May. First week I had to do tithing settlement and I was worried, how will I know if people are telling me the truth? When I say, do you pay a full tithe? How will I know? And so I'm really worried about it. So in a bit of agony, I went to the Lord in prayer and said, how will I know? And he said to me, you will know. I just got that thought in my head, I will know. Mm. 
And so with that faith, I went to my first tithing settlement interview and when the person said, yes, I'm a full tithe payer, tears came to my eyes. At first I thought it was strange, but then by the second and third interview, tears, tears, every time tears came to my eyes. And my whole time as bishop, every time somebody was telling me the truth in an interview, I would get tears well up in my eyes. Mm. And so I learnt to know that when the Spirit was talking to me. Yeah, that's interesting. Had you ever felt the Spirit in that way before? Well, I may have, but I can't remember. Mm. I just remember this as being such an outstandingly noticeable thing mm. that I had these tears come in my eyes. Mm. That's great. What else did you learn about how the Spirit spoke to you? Any other experiences that spring to mind during your time as bishop? Oh, there were some amazing times as bishop um, because you get to work with the people so closely, as you would know, because you're a bishop now. But um, I remember one time our Ward Relief Society president, she was a, an older lady. She'd served in the church for her whole life. She was in hospital to have a hip replacement. Um, I think it had been replaced once and she was getting it done again because it had failed. And uh, she was older and um, just worried. And she called me up on the phone. She was in the hospital. She called on the phone and said, Bishop, I've already had one blessing, but I just feel like I'd like another blessing the night before my operation. Hmm. So sure. So I went into the hospital and um, I remember for some reason I had one or two of my children with me and there she was in the bed and she thanked me for coming in. I laid my hands on her head and gave her the blessing and as I was saying the blessing, the Spirit said to me in my mind, tell this dear sister that she will see angels during her operation. Now, that's not the sort of thing I was used to saying. Mm. And I resisted. And the thought came again, no, tell her that she will see angels. Well, I didn't. I didn't mm -hmm. say it. Even though I'd been prompted, I don't know, once or twice or three, maybe three times. At the end of the blessing, she thanked me, you know, thank you, Bishop, thank you, thank you. And then she got very pensive and after a few seconds, she said, you know, Bishop, I got the distinct feeling that you were going to tell me that I would see angels during my operation. <laughs> ah, how do you feel? <laughs> and so I, I just had to say, well, I did think that, but I didn't have the courage to say it. Mm. And, and that was a great lesson to me mm. because... Ever since then, I have tried to always say in a blessing whatever has come to my mind as a prompting from mm. the Spirit. I'm a great believer that if we're trying to do the right thing, trying to live correctly, and of course none of us are perfect, but if we're trying to do the right thing, then the Spirit will talk to us and he will give us guidance and he will prompt us in the things to say and do. And so... Over the years, in trying to implement that, I've sometimes said some things which almost seem crazy, like, you will see angels. Mm. And 
as far as I know, those things have always worked out well. Mm. Yeah, it strikes me that, you know, it's a pretty unique experience to one, have that thought, but then to have it immediately confirmed by the person to whom you're giving the blessing, right? It seems like your Heavenly Father was trying to build some confidence around your ability to recognize and boldly follow the promptings of the Spirit as they come. That's it. I think that's exactly right. Um, I feel that it was a great lesson for me in learning to recognize and have the courage to follow when things seemed a little extraordinary. Mm. I think for anyone that's given a blessing, there's this internal turmoil almost about, you know, your desires for the individual that you're giving a blessing to versus your desire to just really just convey what the Spirit's telling you to do. What have you learned about how to distinguish that? Is there any advice that you'd give to someone who's not sure about how to, I guess, uh, recognize and follow the promptings, particularly in that situation where you're asked, the, the the task is to vocalize what the spirit would have, not to just say, oh, I feel a little bit good about X, Y, and Z, right? You're being asked to vocalize effectively the will of the Lord, right? In that case, to act as the savior would if he were placing his hands on your head. That's so true. I think of a conference talk that Elder Nelson gave, I don't know, a year or two ago, And he said, when you give a blessing, bless somebody. Don't say that the Lord will make you this or the Lord will do that. You actually should bless them using the power of the priesthood. And so that confirmed to me that when we give blessings, we are acting as the voice for the Lord. And so we we say those things that, we're prompted by the Holy Spirit and we won't go wrong when we follow those promptings. Mm. Um, so I guess my question was around distinguishing, though, right, between oh, okay. your own feelings and and the voice of the Spirit. What advice would you have around that? Oh, this is a great question because um, let, me, let me change it slightly. Sure. When <coughs> missionaries serve, they often wonder, is it me or is it the Spirit? And um, I've had many missionaries that have served fantastic missions get to their final exit interview and say, was it me or was it the Spirit? They still had not recognised and hadn't learnt that. And so I often would point them to Section 121 of the Doctrine and Covenants, which says that... um, the Holy Spirit can be our constant companion if we're striving to do what's right. Now, my feeling is if he's our constant companion, he's right with us. As missionaries, we're meant to have our companion with us. And so if the Holy Spirit is going to be with us, he is our companion. And it says in an earlier section of the Doctrine and Covenants, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart. And so we will get those feelings in our heart We'll get those thoughts in our mind and we know all good comes from God. Mm. So if if it's a good thought or a good feeling, then do it. Mm. Say it mm. because it's from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Good, excellent, thank you. Uh, have you got any other experiences from your time as bishop? Maybe one more before we move on um, about maybe about how the, the Spirit speaks to you. And I guess how he speaks to you knowing you, I guess, is the question. That's, I like that question because I do have a favourite story and some people may have heard this one before. When I was bishop, I also worked out at Pinaroo a couple of days a week. And you're is, a dentist, right? I'm a dentist, yep. yes. and I. So it's about a two or two and a half hour drive to Pinaroo. So often after work, I would have to race back for a ward council meeting or, you know, some other type of meeting. And one particular day, I was coming back for ward council and my car broke down halfway home. A little town called Peak. Just a one-horse town in the middle of nowhere. Car broke down. How do I get back for the ward council meeting? I've got the agenda in my <laughs> in my bag. Um, the days before mobile phones, before anything, and so, well, the only way home is to hitchhike. And that particular road back in those days didn't have a lot of traffic, but the spirit said to me, "Yeah, hitchhike. You'll get back in time." So I'm standing there, standing, standing, looking at my watch, thinking there's no way I'm going to get back. There's no way I can call my counsellor. Um, what do I do? So I had a little prayer. I'm standing by the side of the road, hoping that anything would drive past. And nothing was driving past. Then the spirit said to me, turn your suitcase around. Now, this was interesting because I was standing there and you know how men do, they stand with one leg either side of their briefcase. Mm. Now, I always called my briefcase my suitcase. Mm. And the Spirit said, turn your suitcase around. So all I could think was to pull it out from between my legs and turn it so that it was running parallel to the, like, the side of the road. Mm. And so I did. I turned it around and had it standing in front of me. I thought it was strange, but I did it. About a millisecond later, a very fast car roared through this town at like 100 mile an hour. It was a, um, I think it was a Porsche or something, I can't remember now. And then as he got through the other side of town, I saw his brake lights come on. He swung around, did a U-turn and came back and stopped and uh, said, do you want to ride? I said, sure, I'd love a ride. I'm in a bit of a hurry. He said, so am I, get in quick. <laughs> and... Um, he um, took off again at 100 mile an hour. On the way, he said, I wasn't going to stop because, as you can see, I'm in a very small car. Yeah. But when I saw that you had such a small briefcase, I thought I'd stop. Mm. And that made me think, if he'd have driven past when the briefcase was between my legs, mm. he might not have thought it was small. But when he could see it was so skinny and small, he decided to stop. And, you know, the speed he drove, he got me back in time. <laughs> it was a miracle. It's a miracle you survived the journey. <laughs> it was. <laughs> oh, that's great. It I, was a bit of a nail biter, I can tell you. <laughs> I talk about it all the time on in these interviews, but um, it's these tender mercies, isn't it? You know, that you can see how the Lord is in control of his work, but more than that, 
that he cares about our desires as individuals, right? It didn't really matter if you missed that ward council, right? People would have turned up. You wouldn't have been there, and they'd be like, that's weird. I hope Bishop's okay, and probably just got on with the meeting, right? And it might have been a better meeting. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But you were concerned about it, so your Heavenly Father was concerned about it, enough to give you a specific prompting. The other side of it is, this man who drives at breakneck speed in his Porsche out in the country was doing the work of the Lord that day. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. Which is pretty cool. And um, you know, we talk about bringing people to Christ in any way possible. In that way, he was bringing me and the ward council mm. to closer to Christ. But the interesting thing was that the Lord spoke to me in my language when He said, "Turn your suitcase around." Mm. Now, most people would call it a briefcase. Mm. I called it a suitcase, and the Lord did to me that day. Mm. You spent how many years as a bishop? Almost five years. Almost five years. Mm-hmm. And were you immediately called to the state prison after that? or No, there was two or three years where I served as a, in the state mission. I was a state mission president. Mm-hmm. And we did that for a long time. And um, then um, and I was state president about three or four years later. Mm-hmm. I'd love to talk about um, your time as a, a mission president because I think that's a fairly unique experience. But um, before we go there... How did your service in the church help or change the way that you raised your family? I like that question. Um, the day I was called as state president, oh, I'd called, been called on the Saturday, but they said don't say anything to your children until tomorrow morning, mm. like the day we're being sustained. And so as we um, were getting ready to go to conference, we were kneeling around a little table in the front lounge room, and I said to the kids, I'm being called a state president today. And my son, Luke, who was, I think, 12 at the time, rubbed his hands together and said, oh, goody, now we'll get fame and fortune. <laughs> <laughs> well, after about six months, he said, well, I don't see too much fame and I certainly don't see any fortune. <laughs> but, um, but the children were great. They always accepted whatever call I was given. They were very, very supportive. And as um, Luke said um, in one of his talks one Mother's Day, we weren't there to witness it, but it was reported to us that he said, talking about Judy, that she never rolled her eyes when I said I had to go out or go and do something or um, go and give someone a blessing. She was always extremely supportive. Mm. No, that's great. So tell me about receiving a call to serve as a mission president. That's a pretty unique one. And I was around during those years and remember a little bit about it myself. But, you know, from your perspective, uh, what was going on in your life at the time? And and tell us about that process. Well, that's always interesting, isn't it? When you get these strange calls, because we had been serving as temple president. We thought we'd done what we were going to do in this life. And... um, so we're thinking of serving as a couple missionary. And we're, in fact, we were, well, I think we were working on the papers. Anyway, um, I got this phone call from the secretary of Elder Uchtdorf saying he wanted to talk to us, um, but not then. He wanted to talk in a few days. They always give you time to sweat about these things a little bit. Did you have some idea of what he might be calling about at that stage? Well... Because I guess you've been called as a, a temple present by this stage, so you've been called by an apostle mm-hmm. already. Any clues? 
Well, you know they're not calling to check on your home teaching. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you start to wonder, you know, well, is, could it be mission president? No, maybe I was being prideful, I don't know. But and you don't, want to get your, you don't want to get too set on a particular no, idea, right? Exactly. Yeah. But you don't want to be prideful either. You don't want to. But then the spirit does talk to you and does give you warnings of these things. Then looking back... You can see, oh, yes, we did have what could have been maybe a preliminary interview when that other general authority mm. was visiting the mission that time. And, and so you get different um, things where they've done preliminary interviews. But it was certainly a, um, a big surprise and very pleasant experience to be called by Elder Uchtdorf, President so, Uchtdorf. So when President Uchtdorf called you that time, that's when he extended the actual call was right yes. then? So all the find out had been done in these what you call preliminary interviews, informal sort of interviews. And so it, was it a tell me about your situation, are you willing to serve type conversation? or what was No, the story? it was just you're called to serve. Uh-huh. It was, um, yeah, we're calling you to serve and... Um, I guess we'd had a preliminary interview with Elder Cook okay. prior to that. And um, he he said, look, nothing may come out of this. Don't get your hopes up. Just, um, you know, if you hear from us, great. If you don't, then just go on with your life. Mm-hmm. And we told him, yeah, well, we're going to serve a mission anyway. So that's cool. How, how um, far in advance of President Uchtdorf's interview was the conversation with Elder Cook? It was about a month. It was about a month in advance and because he said, look, if you don't hear from us in a month, call me back. I said, well, yeah, I'm going to call <laughs> you back out of Cook and just say, are you calling me as a mission president? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, what are your impressions of those two apostles, you know, Elder Cook and, and pres- at the time President Uchtdorf? Well, that's the amazing thing. We think of the prophet and the apostles as being way up there, which they are, Mm. the spiritual giants, of course. But they're just men. Mm. They're just like us. They're you and me. You know, they pull their pants on one leg at a time, just (laughs) as we all do. And so, you know, they're they're just normal human beings trying to do the work of the Lord. And I think sometimes we put them on a well, certainly we ought to put them on a pedestal, but not treat them as if they're infallible mm. because they're just human beings and they, we need to remember they sometimes may make mistakes uh, just as we do. Yeah. We try to do our best, but we don't always get it right. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And I take great comfort in knowing that they're imperfect. It actually strengthens my testimony because it gives me confidence that even someone as imperfect as me can do the Lord's work, you know. Exactly. He, he asks us to be willing, doesn't he? Um, not to be necessarily perfect. And sure, we should try our best and we should repent and we should do all these things that we know we should do. But um, the Lord does his work with imperfect men and women. Right? That is so true. When I was called as stake president, I was hanging around the stake office. I'd just been called. And in fact, I was waiting for Judy to come. I'd called her up on the phone and said, get up here. They, mm. they want to interview you. Interview you. Anyway, I was talking to the previous stake president and he said to me, do you know who's been called? And I said, yeah, it's me. And he said, you? <laughs> you? 
<laughs> he knew you too well. <laughs> I think so. Oh, well, it sounds like everyone sustains you anyway, so that's good. Um, so uh, I spent a lot of time with my mission president, and um, he had um, audio CDs of the mission president's training in the MTC that they had, which sounded just amazing, you know. Um, tell me about that experience in, in the MTC. The MTC was for mission presidents. For mission presidents, yeah. It was great. Um, we had every apostle spoke. Wow. Every apostle spoke. Some only bore testimonies for five or ten minutes, but most of them had half an hour or an hour training. And that was really, really great training. No training in how to do the job, but mostly on how to have the spirit with you, how to discern the spirit, how to be a better person. And so it was not, you know, you fill in these forms and you you do this on Monday and this on Tuesday, mm. but it was just a spiritual training. That's an interesting distinction. Um, and one of the things that I worried about when being called as a bishop is, you know, when someone walks into your office, they've asked to meet with you. You know, in the beginning, I started just freaking out, you know. What do these people want to talk to me about? You know, what's, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to help these people and all that sort of stuff. Early on, I realized that my job isn't actually to solve anyone's problems. It's to help them to connect to heaven exactly. so that Heavenly Father can help them solve their own problems, right? Um, so I don't worry about if I've got advice, and sometimes advice comes, right? Um, and sometimes it doesn't, right? True. Um, but uh, I need to know how to help them to be, as you say, better people or help them to receive revelation and all of that sort of stuff. And it's an interesting distinction, I think, around the task that we need to perform and our various responsibilities as members of families and employees and, as, and serving in the church versus... Um, being the type of person who can be a great husband, father, serve in the church, whatever the case may be. Very, very true. Um, so as a mission president, it's oh, well, from what I observed, you and Judy were both exhausted all the time, super busy, um, presumably making a bunch of decisions. I'm interested, though, in um, the process of missionary transfers. So transfers are six weeks, and then every six weeks you're getting new missionaries, you've got old missionaries going out, there's mission leadership that needs to be called, assistance district leaders, zone leaders, sister training leaders, all of that, that sort of thing. Do you have any experiences around um, transfers that you could share with us? Transfers were the most stressful part of being a mission president. And it was relentless and it never got easier. For the whole three years, it Every six weeks, these transfers would roll around and it got harder and harder every time. But the way I would do it, I set aside a week of the six weeks for transfers. I'd try to get it all done in the first three or four days, but sometimes it took five, six days. I would meet first with my assistants and have them come in and we had all the photos up on the board and we had 240 missionaries I would say, is there anyone you're aware of that's got a problem that needs to be transferred? And so we'd take 30 or 40 minutes just to run through and they'd state their mind. And then I'd mm. send them off to do some work and uh, tell them not to come back until Wednesday night. And um, then I would lock myself in the room and um, just look at every missionary 
take their picture off the board, look at what they'd done, where they'd served, and um, how long they'd been there. And in my mind and my heart, I'd just pray for inspiration. Some pictures would go back up on the board, some would go on the great big board table that I had there, and um, I would have them for potentially being moved around. The interesting thing was companionships of missionaries were not always what I expected. Sometimes they would be the most unlikely. I remember one time Judy came in and she saw these two missionaries on the wall and she said, you can't put them together. He's going to snap that little fellow in half. I had a great big Samoan boy elder with a little teeny Filipino missionary and uh, she said, he'll kill him. I thought, well, I don't know, I, that's the spirit has told me what to do. And it turned out to be an amazing companionship in which this little Filipino helped the Samoan to change totally his whole attitude and caused him to lose his anger and to be able to deal with it. It mm. was amazing. And so companionships were always the, uh, the fun part of the, of the assignment because I knew that when I tried to follow the Lord that it worked out well. And so after the two or three or four days of working on these um, companionships, you know, day and night, it would all come together and then the assistants would come back in and sometimes they would scratch their heads at what I'd done I remember one time one assistant said, you can't do that. He doesn't have a driver's license. You can't put him there. Well, no, the mission's not run by driver's licenses. Mm. And um, it usually worked out. Mm. And, of course, every missionary has his, 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 his agency. Mm. And so, you know, things don't always work as well as they could. Mm. But I was always pleased with the way transfers worked. Mm. And so um, it seems to me from your story that it, would, it seemed like a miracle to you that it sort of all came together every six weeks. You know, at the beginning of that week-long process of starting the transfers, as you're looking at the board, you can't see how it's all going to come together and fit together. And I, in my mind, I'm relating it to sort of ward callings. You know, you're calling a new young women's prison, for example, and if you release any uh, woman from a significant calling like that, then you have to effectively change the whole ward, right? right exactly. <laughs> and it just seems like this impossibility that you'll be able to find the right people to fit in and all of that sort of stuff. Is that sort of what you're explaining? Oh, yes. I think of one elder who was from one of the islands in the Pacific. And when he was a three-year-old child, he'd had his eye poked out with a straw broom. Wow. And so he was blind in one eye. And the eye had gone all, looked funny. Mm. And so I said to him one day, look, I'm going to put you in an area where we can get something done with this eye. And there was only one place in Sydney that could make a fake eye. Mm. And so he was serving out in the country. And so the next transfer, I tried to put him in, bring him back in to serve in uh, Parramatta. And uh, I moved that picture of his back into that ward half a dozen times. And every time it got put out and out. And, out. and he said to me, that transfer, I thought you were going to bring me back. And I said, well, I tried, but I couldn't. Mm. And that went on for like three or four transfers. Mm. And finally, I was able to bring him in and get his eye fixed. Mm. But it's... It, it taught me that 
sometimes we have to wait on the Lord's timing. And um, he had amazing success in those transfers when he was waiting to come into the city so he could get his eye fixed. Wonderful. We're talking about the way the Spirit works in your life and often, you know, we talk about them as promptings. Prompting because there's sort of an inclination towards something, but it's not a clear message. Were there times when you're serving as a mission president where you felt like it was pure inspiration? Oh, definitely, yes. One of the clear ones that I remember was um, not long after the mission was divided. That was quite a traumatic experience when we divided the mission. We had to give away half our missionaries Mm. to the other mission. So 120 of our children, we had to give them away. That very first transfer, when I had only 120 missionaries left, what can I do to really make this mission zing so that as we build up again to our new level that we can take the mission to the next level? And so I got the inspiration to write a personal letter to every missionary. And I would write to them every week because missionaries write to their mission president each week and I would answer every every letter every week. But it was usually only one or two sentences. It was pretty short. In fact, some missionaries would complain, oh, he didn't write much to me. <laughs> I only get two sentences and you got the paragraph. But... Um, This particular time, it was I got the feeling to write a full letter to everybody. And so once again, I locked myself away in my office for a few days and pulled down each picture one at a time and specifically prayed about what to write. And so I wrote this letter to each missionary and um, then delivered them all on the same day. And as it turned out, many, many of them were just touched, felt that it was an answer to their prayers, said, did you read my patriarchal blessing? This is a direct copy of my patriarchal blessing. Just things like that. Mm-hmm. And it felt like it was just pure inspiration. It was one of the best things I did as a mission president. I would have liked to have done it more often, but it just was so time-consuming that I didn't have the time. Oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing those experiences. And I think it's it's wonderful to know that when we've been set apart into a calling and we exercise the priesthood power that comes through that setting apart, that the Lord answers our prayers, right? He gives us the ability to receive the revelation that we need to, to do his work. You know, the mission would have been fine had you not sent those letters probably, right? Ultimately, you know, God's not going to let his mission fall over just because you didn't have a thought or follow a thought, I should say, to write the the letters. But miracles happen when we do that. Yes, and I think that's the lesson for all of us. It's not just mission presidents. It's us as individuals, as members of the church. If we follow the promptings, if we're striving to do what is right, then the Lord will guide us and the solution or the answer that I think is that we should just strive to do the right thing and then follow the feelings that we get Mm. and we'll go right. Um, So maybe to close, I'm 39 this year um, and so I've had a good amount of experience. I served a good mission and um, love that experience, have, have teenagers now or a teenager now and, and all of that sort of stuff. I'm interested as you think about the time 
between where I am now as, uh, you know, in my late 30s to where you are now in your early 70s and the experiences that you have had, how has your understanding of you, your understanding of your relationship with your Heavenly Father, how has that changed? How has your depth or, or breadth of testimony changed in that period of time? Or is it pretty well the same? I think as we grow older, so of course the number of experiences increases and our testimony strengthens, but it doesn't necessarily have to change dramatically. Mm. Um, the basis of my testimony is that Jesus Christ is my saviour. Jesus Christ atoned for my sins and to enable me to become a better person. And so while that never changes, it certainly strengthens. Mm. And so if we allow it to, then our testimony will strengthen. If we do the things that continually strengthen a muscle, then it becomes stronger. And so our testimony can become stronger, even though um, the basis of it never changes. And so my suggestion to you and to everybody is just continue to do the basics. And then certainly not everyone's going to be called as a mission president, but we could be worthy to be called as a mission president. Mm. And that's the, that's the answer, I think. Mm. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for taking the time to share with us a bit more from your life and your experiences. It's been wonderful to hear some of these experiences for the first time and others in, in greater detail. Well, thank you. It's been fun. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing those experiences from Phil. A life of service, but he's been incredibly blessed because of the service which he's rendered. That's all I have for you now until I speak to you again here in the Bishop's Office.